Bible by itself. It is like a lot of people believe it is. It's just a history book. It's just a religious book. But when you bring the Holy Spirit into the equation, the Word of God becomes a living Word, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God then is able to be imparted into our lives based on this very fact that the Holy Spirit is imparting it into our life. He's taking it off of the pages of the Bible and he writes it on our hearts. That is the work of the Holy Spirit to impart God's truth. That's why he's called the spirit of what? The spirit of truth. Because he's going to impart what? Truth to us. Whose truth? God's truth. Not man's truth. Whose standards? God's standards. Whose principles? God's principles. Whose way of living? God's way of living. Not man's. He's going to impart that to us. And he's going to share with us. Because Christ said, Boy, much more I have to say to you, but you cannot bear it right now. So who's going to say it? The Holy Spirit. He's going to speak into our lives. He's going to share. Now, a lot of Christians, we take wholeheartedly Jesus Christ because he is our Savior. And he never plays second fiddle to anybody else. And that's why the Holy Spirit does not speak of himself. But he's going to speak of Jesus because Jesus is the main person. But oftentimes what you and I miss is this, the working of the Spirit in our life. If we're going to be, and we are destined to be in the very image of Jesus Christ, who's going to do that work in us? We can't do it. Who's going to work in our lives that brings us into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit. He's going to do that work. The Holy Spirit imparts to us what Jesus has purchased for us. All that Jesus paid for that we might become and the life that we should live. Jesus paid for that. So when the scripture says God has a plan for you, Jesus paid for that plan. When you go on a vacation, guess what? Somebody's paying for it. (laughs) Somebody's paying for it. When you have children... And they sit down at your table to eat. Do you tell them, first of all, put the dollar down before they eat? No, they just have a right of inheritance because you are what? The parents. And for some reason, you pass on. All that you have is passed on to who? Your children. It's just law. It's a way of life. That all that you possess and all that you've gathered, all that you worked hard for, goes to your children. And it's called an inheritance. 
Now, with Jesus Christ, we have an inheritance. But who imparts that inheritance? Who places that inheritance in our hands? Who gives it to us in life that we may be able to use it? And what we have to recognize is this, and it's very important. I have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. Now, how do I gather that inheritance? What's the process that I must go through to be able to gain that inheritance? My brother passed now, is going on the third year, and his kids are still waiting for the courts to release some checks and money. But right now, the courts won't release it because Medicare has it held up. Until they can win their case with Medicare, that money and those checks are held up until they win their case about whether did he die of cancer or of lungs. And he was receiving funds because of his lungs and the spot on his lungs from asbestos. But he died of cancer, not of the lungs. And Medicare wants to know, did any of their money seen about him go for treatments of his lungs? With the inheritance, <clears throat> there's always that check and balance. Are you ready to receive it? Are you looking forward to it? Have you asked for it? Does your life qualify at this time to receive it? The inheritance that is yours. It's like a child sometime. The inheritance, the will might read, they cannot receive this amount of funds until they're age 25 or, or they're age this or age that. Or if they're minors, somebody else oversees it until they become an adult. And some people put it in their will. They will receive this much at this age and this much in this time. And it's what we call a trust anymore and so forth. But they have to meet the criteria whether it be the age or whatever. When my uncle died, he left his two kids, and usually in the will it says, share and share alike. But he gave 51% to his daughter, 49% to his son, because he knew his son had an alcoholic problem. So in some areas, she was the one in control. What is your problem that might keep you from inheriting what you are to inherit? In John 19.30, it says, Jesus says these words, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. Oftentimes, we take that word finished, that the justice of God has been satisfied. 
the debt of sin has been paid. I want you to understand this. For 400 years before the book of Matthew, God was silent. You read any history book about the Bible, between Old Testament and New Testament, there was 400 years that God did not allow a prophet to speak or no one to speak on his behalf. <clears throat> Jesus came and he died on that cross. And he said, it's finished. The debt of sin now has been paid. But something else now takes place. Because of the fulfillment of that debt. <clears throat> now understand what I'm going to say. Hear me and hear me well. God is set free from his wrath and holding you in a sense as an individual unworthy of his blessings, unworthy of his presence, unworthy of coming into his presence. And that's why in Romans 5 it says we've been justified by Christ. That allows us to do what? To go into the very presence of God. If you remember in the Old Testament, in the Holy of Holies, everybody couldn't run up in there. Only one person could go. The high priest. But once Christ died, it opened it up that every one of us can go right into the presence of God anytime, anywhere. We have that freedom now. We have that freedom to talk with God and He hears us and He answers us. It set God free to deal with His people, to deal with the saints, to deal with the believers, to deal with those that He called to Himself. It set Him free. And oftentimes we don't look at it from that perspective. We only see it that the cross paid for our sins, but it also set God free that He could bless us because for 400 years God was silent and God was not working, and all we had was the Old Testament that could not give us the life that God desired for us. Now, I gave you a list last week of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you another list now. The qualities of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and because of Jesus Christ, these qualities that were also the qualities of Christ, that are the qualities of the Spirit are to be imparted into your life, into our life. Why? That we might live the life, not according to our own will, our own standards, our own principles. Understand this here. Most of us say, if I'm good, I'm holy. Your goodness will never make you holy. 
But because of the holiness of the Holy Spirit, you do good deeds and good things. Do you understand that? Your goodness can never make you holy. But holiness will cause you to do good things. See? And the first thing it says, holiness. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of holiness. Go to Psalms 51 with me. Psalms 51. In verse 11. And what I want you to be able to do is do this here. He says, do not cast me from your presence. David is praying. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. What is he calling him? Holy Spirit. Now, that's your inheritance. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you have asked God to make you holy? Or how many of you are trying to work on holiness yourself? And see, when you are working on holiness yourself, what you're trying to do is make self better or good. And God says, be holy as I am holy, which you could never do in and of what? Yourself. But if you ask God to make you holy, his Holy Spirit goes to work in your life, and you'll be amazed at the things he began to point out to you that you didn't think anything was wrong with, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was beginning to speak and say, uh-uh, nope, not that. You ought to do this. No right to be angry about that. You shouldn't do this. No, you shouldn't speak that way. And he begins then to bring about that holiness in you. God doesn't do things for us because he is a good God. He does it for us because his holiness demands what? Goodness. His holiness demands the goodness. And out of that holiness, God is holy comes the goodness of God that we see as the favors of God or the blessings of God. It comes because he is a holy, righteous God. And what we need to do is take some of these things on this list that we find that is not really part of our lives and begin to ask, Lord, make me holy. Lord, make me holy. Make me pure as you are pure in thought and mind. Then wisdom. Lord, I don't want the wisdom of man, but I want the wisdom that comes from above. I want the wisdom of God as I speak to other people and as I make decisions for myself, as I make decisions for my family. I don't want to be making decisions and reacting to something. I want to, be, I want to have the wisdom and the understanding in a decision that I'm making, how it will impact my family and have a good effect upon my family, and that is a blessing to my family. So I want to pray, God, wisdom, understanding. Why? That's part of the inheritance. 
that's part of the inheritance. And guess what? Most of us let that go and we use our own understanding. We think we're using our own wisdom, our own knowledge. Now, God didn't say turn this off. He says, open it up to me. Open it up to me. Let me renew your mind. Let me process your thoughts. And I'll feed your thoughts back to you in a different way. And you'll understand and you'll have direction. You'll have clarity. And people will see you as wise. And people will ask, well, why did you do that? They won't understand it because it's different than what the norm would do. But it's what God would have you to do. And you want to ask for that wisdom, that understanding. And then another part of inheritance is that God will counsel with you. If you'll talk with him, and it may sound crazy, but if you talk with him, remember the little song, have a little talk with Jesus? That's a reality. A week or so ago, I stepped in the kitchen and sister, a really started sharing something with me, and she was laughing away, having a good time, because her husband locked the truck, and we bought the truck. The individual told us all this stuff, the truck was all locked up. And once you push the buttons down, you can't unlock it. So we were not locking the truck. And when I went in the kitchen, I heard what Sister Arilla said to me. Something said at the same time, go unlock the passenger side. Lord, the, the owner said he fixed the locks where you could not lock them. That way he wouldn't lock himself out of his truck. The driver's side, you couldn't budge that thing. But the Lord said, the passenger side. Went over to the passenger side, and that thing turned and unlocked. I had already called the locksmith. I had to call him up and cancel it. Because God directed. In the small, simple little things, God will direct you if you ask him and if you allow him to do and if you train your ears to hear him. Now, it sounds strange to people that God will talk to you. Well, if God talked to the prophets of old, you mean all of a sudden God then becomes silent and won't talk to us? If God talked to men about writing this Bible, all of a sudden God stopped talking and won't talk anymore? If God spoke to Philip that we looked to last week about going and getting up in the chariot with that Ethiopian, if God talked to him, and if the Holy Spirit and God talked to Paul about going to Macedonia, if God spoke to these other individuals, all of a sudden he didn't stop talking? It's the desire of you and I. Do we want to hear him? Do we want to hear him? And do we want to hear the advice that he gives? A lot of us don't want to hear what God really has to say to us because we already know up front he's going to tell us to do something that we what? Don't want to do. Now when we're asking him to do something, that's different. But boy, trying to hear from God and when God's speaking to us, we don't want to hear his counsel. 
We don't want to hear his advice, especially in family matters, especially in matters where husband and wife are fighting. And boy, I don't want to hear from God right now. I just want to knock his head off. I just want to get away from her. I just want to do this or that. No. Isn't it hard when God says go and love her? Men, isn't that difficult when you're upset with your wife to go and hug her? And that's the time to go hug her. That's the time you want to hug her. That reassures her. Yeah, we have a disagreement, but I still what? Love you. And wives, same thing. I may disagree with you, and I might stand against you. But you know the greatest thing a wife can say to a husband? Same thing Sarah said. Where you go, I'll go. It may not be the most enjoyable place. I may not have the kitchen I want. I may not have the luxuries I want. But I'll go where you go. Elaine and I, I forgot she was over there. But but we was having this conversation in, in bed and she was telling me, no, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to, and just, just all these knots. And I said, "Hun, you have followed me for over 50-something years. I expect that of you. Not that I'm going to demand it. Not that I'm going to try to make you. But I expect you to follow me as you have done so for 50-something years. And that's what a husband should be able to expect of his wife. That she's willing to follow him, even in the, when I don't understand it all. Because, believe me, husbands cannot explain it all sometimes. You just have to put faith in them and believe that God is leading them and you're willing to follow. And sometimes we do suffer for righteousness sake. Because it's the right thing to do. But if I'm trusting God, God can turn the heart. God can change the mind. God can change the directions. God can speak. He can give wise counsel. And he says then, supplication. That he is the spirit of supplication. He is the spirit of worship. He is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of comfort. Have you prayed for those things? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to impart that into your life? Oh, Holy Spirit, make me comfortable with this decision. Oh, Holy Spirit, make me comfortable in my environment. Oh, Holy Spirit, make me comfortable that you can function. None of us function well in fear. None of us function well in doubt. None of us function well when we don't have trust in another person. Holy Spirit, make me comfortable. Give me a peace that I can do what God has called me to do in this situation. And if I am to follow, give me the comfort and the peace that I can take that step and follow. If I am to lead, and I'm not quite sure where I'm going, oh, Holy Spirit, comfort me. 
that all my fears are not seen outwardly. Oh, comfort me, Holy Spirit, that I can really trust God as I take this step. And I take it. Men need to pray for these things just like women. We all need to pray for them because they're all part of our inheritance. But unless we know that we lack them, we never ask for them. Unless you know there's something left in a will for you, you'll never ask for it. (laughs) And he says, he's the comforter. He is the life. He's the spirit of adoption. He is. Now, he is the spirit of faith. And maybe I need to pray, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give me more faith? Lord, help me in my unbelief. Lord, I'm struggling in this area to really believe and to have faith in you and to trust you. Lord, I'm fighting in this area. And Satan's trying to rob everything from me. Lord, would you give me more faith? And you want to ask for it. Why? It's your inheritance. It's your right. Lord, give me the ability to love. Have you ever found it hard to love some people? Oh, Lord. As Melvin was talking about relationship, relationships are painful. Show me a mother who has not been hurt by her children. And show me children who have not been maybe hurt or caused pain by their parents. Why does that happen? Because we live in a fallen state. We live in a foreign state. Children are not perfect. Parents are not perfect. We're both learning in this process. And in this process, sometimes we hurt one another. But we stay together because we are what? Family. In a marriage, and I use this in marriage counseling, You'll never know how much that person loves you until you know how much pain you can endure. You'll never know how much you love that person. Wouldn't it be great if mothers could give forth, bring forth a child without pain? Now, I don't know what that pain I don't want to know what that pain is. I've only seen the reactions of that pain, and I don't want to be nowhere close to it. But that also endears that mother to who? To that child. In a different way than what it endears the father. It's a greater love that comes from the mother than what it does from the father the father knows this is their child that's his seed he knows that but guess what he hasn't spent one ounce of pain or discomfort to bring that child (laughs) into this world and that makes a huge difference in how you look and how you value that person. 
Elaine used to tell me, don't tell the kids real quick. They're going to be leaving. Yeah, they are. They're going, they're going somewhere. <laughs> and she'd be saying, no, I want them to stay right here as long as they want. I went, no, it's a certain time. It's time to go. Because <laughs> you know, as fathers, we're like the eagle. We know when to help you out the nest. But often mothers are satisfied if they stay where? Right there. Which one really has to struggle sometimes? And you'll see this in fathers and you'll see this in mothers with sons. It's hard to release a love to another love. When Kaylee gets ready to get married, it'll be Mark who will really struggle. Faith's thing will be, is it the right guy? Mark's thing is, will he love my daughter as I have loved her? Will he really care for her as I have cared for her? Now, when it comes to the son, that's the different love because now you're going to see faith more. Hey, that's her son. Hey, is this woman really going to care for my son? Help my son, love my son? Hey, because now she's releasing too, but with a different love than what she has for Kaylee. Boom. And yet each one of us will struggle. And sometimes we just got to pray, Lord, give me love. Give me love for my son-in-law. Give me love for my daughter-in-law. Give me love for my employer. Give me love for other people. Give me love in this relationship that I'm in. Give me love with my co-workers. Give me love. Love. And you understand what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. didn't say love would be easy. But if you keep loving a person, you'll win them. You keep loving a person, you'll win them. And then he says might. Because you now you've been given the spirit of fear. But you've been given the spirit of love and might and of discipline, of sound judgment. Then you've been given the spirit of revelation. Go to Ephesians 1.17 because I want you to see this. I want you to mark it. I want you to pray because it's important that you pray for this and because it is not the pastor that reveals God. And you want to be able to know the spirit of God for yourself. You want to be able to know God for yourself. Here's what Paul says. I know in whom I believe. Don't believe in the person that I tell you to believe in. You believe in the person that you see and understand and you have discovered for yourself. My job is to preach the truth. But you're the one who has to discover if it's the truth or not. So in Ephesians 1, 17, I want you to Really catch what he's going to say here in this verse. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit. Listen to what Paul's saying. I'm preaching to you. I'm teaching you. But I'm really praying that God gives you the Holy Spirit for yourself. For he's the true teacher. And I'm praying that you really receive the Holy Spirit for yourself. Why? Now he gives you the reason why. May give you the spirit. The spirit of what? A wisdom. 
Now, you can have man's wisdom, but man's wisdom is only foolishness unto God. But when you have God's wisdom and God's knowledge and God's understanding, now you're able to function in a different manner. And he goes on, he says, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Revelation of who? Revelation of God. Revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation of your life that God has planned for you. That the Holy Spirit would open it up that you can see it because it's not written for you per se, but you can understand it through the relationship you have with the Holy Spirit. And it's the revelation, it's the revealing of your life, it's the revealing of Him to yourself that you may know and you may walk with Him knowing that you know Him because you've had revelations of Him and revelation so that you may know Him what? Better! That you may know Him better! That you may know more of Him. That you may step into a deeper relationship with Him. That you may understand His ways better because His ways are not what? Our ways. And every time He changes something in your life, you're not shook because now you know Him better that you can really trust Him. You know whatever He does on your behalf is always good. You understand that God himself loves you and holds you in high esteem. You know him better. And if he gave his son for you, what good thing would he withhold from you? Or keep away from you if it's good for you? And he says that you would have the revelation of knowing Him and seeing Him better. And most of us are just satisfied that we're saved. Again, not understanding salvation is just the door that opens to a much wider light than we could ever imagine. It's not just saving you from hell. It's not just saving you for heaven. But it is saving you right now in every difficult situation you find yourself in. God will rescue. God will deliver. God will minister to you. There's no trial. There's no temptation that overcomes man that is not common to man. Now listen to what the rest of the verse says. That God will not make a way of escape. thing is, are you listening Are you hearing him telling you to walk in this direction? Are you listening and hearing what he would have you to do? Not what you want to do, but what he would have you to do. Two different things. But he's willing to reveal himself to you. He's willing to give you power. And then Hebrews 9.14. Go there. Because some of us need to pray for this. And it's that thing that takes place that only God can do. Sometimes when you listen to people, all they can talk about is their hardships and their pains. 
All they can talk about is how rough life has been for them. All they can talk about is what others have done to them. Unless God cleanses your mind and your consciousness from that, you'll never walk in newness of life. You'll never see or think anything different than what you have experienced. And what you experience sometimes overrides your belief of what God is able to do. And when your experience overrides what God is able to do, then you miss God's blessing and God's best for you. And God wants it better for you. Not just a good life, but an abundant life. You have to understand, yes, Satan did come to rob and to steal from you and to lie to you and to kill. Satan really has come to kill the life that God wants for you, that God has planned for you. He come to rob that from you because it's part of your inheritance. But if you allow somebody to steal your inheritance, they will steal it. If you allow somebody else to come in and take half of your inheritance, they'll do that. If you allow somebody to talk you out, out of it, swindle you out of it, or you got some greater deal that you're willing to put your inheritance into, you're the one being the fool. And you're the one who suffers and loses. And you say, well, why isn't it better? Why isn't it better? Why isn't things changing? Hey. And the whole issue comes to a point. Something has to happen in your mind. Go to Hebrews 9.14. Unless this takes place, and you got to pray for it sometime. Lord, wash my conscience. Clean it. For as a man thinketh so, are they. Unless you get your mind clean of your past, it's hard to move forward. Unless you can get your mind clean of your pain and your hurt and what somebody did to you, it hurts the relationship. Unless you can get your mind clean of the filth that was once there, it hunts you. Unless you can get your mind clean of things that you've done in the past, that is not morally right, that is not decent, is not something you want other people to know about you. Unless you can cleanse your mind of those things. Now, I'm not saying totally forget, but it cleanses you that is not up front. It's not right here. So, look what he says. In 914, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, through who? The eternal spirit, through the spirit, offered himself unblemished to God. Now, look what's going to happen. Cleanse our conscience. Cleanse what? Our conscience. From acts that lead to what? Death. 
so that we may serve the living God. That we might live as God would really have us to live. That we're not living in our past. We're not living in our past pain. We're not living in our past hurts. We're not living. No. We are responding to God. Not to this. But we're responding to God. And we're living the way God wants us to live. Not the way the world would have us to live. And how it has caused fear in our life. And caused us to be molded in this way. And act this way. And talk this way. Because of the fear. No, he cleanses our minds. That we can understand. We can do all things through Christ. Who what? Strengthens us. That we can love somebody that's unlovable. We can work with anybody and everybody. And sometimes God put hard people in your life that you can say this. Praise God, I'm not like that. I can see part of me in them, but God has saved me. God has rescued me. I can have all this bitterness. I can have all this anger. I can have all this fight. I can have this foul mouth. I could be this loose woman or man. I could be this who don't really care about my family or my kids. But praise God, he rescued me. He delivered me from all that. And I am what I am today by the grace of God. He's the spirit of grace, the spirit of glory. That's all that the Spirit is. And those are the qualities of the Holy Spirit. And He wants to impart those qualities into every one of our lives. He wants to impart those qualities into every one of our lives. In Ephesians 1.14, He says, Marking now. I want you to follow somewhere. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. And I want you to follow the sequence here within <laughs> Ephesians 1 and verse 14. If you can follow the sequence, you'll understand the growing process. If you miss it, you won't understand the growing. He says in one fourteen, Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance? until the redemption of those who are God possessed. Now go back up into 13. We just read a little bit about the inheritance. So 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promise of the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our what? Our inheritance. How did that come about? First of all, boy, the marking doesn't take place until you what? Believe. The Holy Spirit doesn't mark you, doesn't seal you until you believe. And only God really knows if you really believe. He knows if it's just a mental, literal thing, or is it really a heart and mind thing. That you really believe Him. And when you really believe Him, 
He says he seals you with his Holy Spirit. Now, how does that come about? That that sealing, if you go right back up with it, that he marks, he says, having believed, you were marked. And you go back up, he says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, your salvation, you believe. When you heard the word of what? True. Belief did not come before truth. People say, oh, I believe, I believe. And you ask them for some truth of the word of God, they can't give it to you. Which is the very evidence they really don't believe because they don't know the word of God. And if you don't know the word of God, you have not heard the truth. And if you have not heard the truth, you really cannot believe. You're believing in what you've chosen to believe in, but you do not believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the power of it. And you make yourself a religious person, but a religious person may not really be a believer in Jesus Christ. Because believing only comes through the truth of the Word of God. And he said, boy, you were included. What does he mean in the very first part? Every man, woman, and child was included in hearing the gospel. Everyone's included that they would hear the gospel. And somebody will say, well, what about that person never seen a missionary? That's God's responsibility to speak to their hearts, and he does. He does. He does. But if you understand those steps there, one, I'm included to be able to hear the gospel. When I hear the gospel, there's a response that God is expecting that I would believe. And if I choose to really believe what I've heard, then I'm marked and I'm sealed. And if I'm marked and I'm sealed, I have an inheritance that is only given by God to those who truly believe. You follow those steps? And then he says, the Holy Spirit, who is that guaranteeing that I'm going to have an inheritance. And then he says, in 5.5, five, he gives you a little view of how you can lose your inheritance. How you can lose your inheritance. You say, well, I can't lose it. No, you can't lose your salvation if you're really saved. But you can lose what you've inherited and what someone has put up for you. You can lose that. So in 5.5, five, he says, and go back, if you would, please, to 5.1 with me, just to give a little clearer understanding. He says, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved, what? Children. Now, I want you to understand what he's saying. Be imitators of God, and then secondly, be children of God. And what he's going to talk about is this here. My children don't act this way. Those who are really raised in my household, they won't live this way. Those who really have gained my wisdom, my knowledge, my understanding, and my standards and my principles, they won't act this way. So when you come down in five, you see what blocks the blessings that comes from God. So he says in verse 5, he says, For of this 
you can be sure. He said, you can be sure that you can mark it down. No immoral, no immoral person will be blessed by me. Now, I want to share the difference here. Mercy is receiving what you should have received. God is merciful. He didn't judge you as harshly. He didn't put the penalty on you as hard as he could. That's God's mercy. God's blessing is when God just wants to just open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you with no restraints. That's the blessing. And he says, no immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a man is an idolater. What is he saying? You put these things before me. You put these things before me. You put your immoral life before me. You put your impurities before me. You put your greed and chasing after riches of this world before me. And that becomes idolatry. And, and he says, has any inheritance? That person doesn't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. They themselves then wipe out their own inheritance of what they should receive from God. They nullify it by how they live. It's done away with. I have told my children, if you don't live in such and such a way, you won't get a dime of whatever I leave. But that's just making it clear. Now, follow me for a moment because we say we're Christians. If you are a steward of what God has blessed you with and all that you possess and own belongs to God. How all of a sudden you take it and leave it to a heathen, an unbeliever, an adulterous individual, someone who's going to waste God's resources that you are a steward over. But too many of us, we don't see ourselves as stewards over what God has put in our hands. We see it as what? Mine. Well, you ain't going to take a dime with you. If you put a dollar in the casket and go back 20 years, it'll still be there. You won't take it. So whose wealth do you hold? Is it yours or is it God's? As much as God has given it, God's able to take it. But it's in our choices now. Do I leave it to those who I believe will continue to further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do I leave it to someone who will further the work of Satan? That's the choice we have to make. And if I say it all belongs to God, then I will leave it in the hands of those who I believe will prosper in the kingdom of God and advance it. If I leave it in the other, I just said to God, this never belonged to you. It was mine. 
Let's hurry up here. In 9.15, he says, what is all the benefits of the new covenant? Because Christ talks about the new covenant. I'm going to pick up next week. I'm going to take my wife's advice. And I'm going to pick up next week here. And we'll just pick up with this and into Corinthians to understand why do I receive the inheritance? Why do I receive it? See, because one of the reasons is right here. He says a new covenant. How many of you understand? We'll go back through this a little bit next week. The old covenant was one contract. The new covenant is a new contract. When you go to work, you need to understand what your contract was. What's the benefits in your contract? What is it that you won't receive in your contract? And that's all a covenant is. It's a contract between God and man. God always upholds his contract, his word. The one who falls short in it (laughs) is right here. Is right here. And what I need to look for in the contract is the benefits of it. Is the benefits that are in that contract for me. What are your benefits in the new covenant? What is your benefit for being saved? What is your benefit for living holy? What is your benefit for doing what is right? What is your benefit for living in such a way that you love God with all your heart? How are you blessed by that? What do you benefit from it? What are you gaining from it? Because it's in the contract. It's in the contract. It's there. But are you reaping your inheritance? Father, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit who imparts the inheritance and all that Jesus bled for, died for, rose for, for us. And we thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is imparting all that God has for us. He's imparting it into our lives. He's, a, he's allowing us to enjoy the counsel and the wisdom and the knowledge that comes from God. He allows us to sit at the feet of God and receive from Him. He allows us to learn to hear His voice and to know His voice. He allows us to ask anything of Him. He gives us that very privilege of knowing His presence. He gives us, Lord, peace. Even as we age in life and as we are approaching 
our final days. He gives us a peace and a joy and a comfort because we can look back over a life in which he has had his hand upon and we can say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the many blessings. Thank you, Lord, for what you have given to me in the inheritance of being a child of God. Thank you, Lord. Help us to receive it, Lord. Help us to ask for that inheritance that Christ left to each and every one of us. May we ask the Holy Spirit to impart those inheritance, the inheritance of peace, the inheritance of joy, the inheritance of kindness, the inheritance of holiness and purity, the inheritance that, boy, I can live an upright moral life. I can live a pure life. I don't have to have a woman. I don't have to have a man. I can live a single life holy before God. And I can wait on my God to give me the person he wants me to spend the rest of my life with. I don't have to be rich. I don't have to have a lot of thousands of dollars in the bank. When I need, oh God, you said you will provide. You've told me to look at the lilies of the fields and the birds of the air and how you provide for them. And you care much more for me. You'll give me shelter. You'll give me my daily bread. It may not be the steak I want. It may not be this that I want. But Lord, you're going to provide something on that table. And that, Lord, you're going to take care of me. And I thank you. Because I am your responsibility, because I am your child. And you've given me a right to the inheritance of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help me to identify them. Help me to allow the Holy Spirit to impart them into my life. Help me as I go through scripture and I see it to ask you to do that work in me that only you're able to do. Help us, Lord, to want all that you have for us. Help us, Lord, to desire the life that you would have us to live. You're not dead. You're a living God. You're not a God that's afar off. You're a God right here with your people. Would you minister to us that we might know the fruit of our inheritance and we might live in such a way that it pleases you. Help us to make that our goal. Help us to pray for that. That I might live a life pleasing and acceptable to you. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.